Jeremiah 10, Psalm 19, Acts 2, with a little bit of other scriptures peppered and salted in there for good measure. All right, so the title of the message today is God is Speaking, Are We Listening? And what I want to say today is that God is speaking, and what I want to ask you today is, are you listening? And I want to ask us together, are we listening? And the point I want to make today is that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are always talking. They're always talking to us. They're always speaking. The big question is, are we listening? That's the big question. Um, You can tell a lot about a person by what they like to make fun of. I didn't do this in the first service, but we'll have a little interaction. What do I like to make fun of during my messages? Somebody shout it out. Star Wars Wars is number one. My physique is... I don't have to take this. I'm out of here. My physique. I I get to make fun of how muscular I grow every day. Um, Thank you for that one. I know where you live. And what is what I was thinking for a close second was something to do with food. Anybody? Bacon. Ba- well, I don't make fun of bacon. It comes up a lot. But what do I make fun of? McDonald's. I saw it mouth over there. So these are just kind of running gags that I like to tease about. And so if those things are um, big enjoyment parts of your life, then you know you like to tease those things too. The Lord likes to make fun of some stuff as well. And uh, I could go in many places in Scripture to see this, but one thing he likes to make fun of is idols and the fact that people worship them. So I want to read for you Jeremiah 10, just the first few verses. And I want you just to be paying attention to one of the things or the reasons why God makes fun of the idols or um, just says that it's, it's wrong to worship them. So this is Jeremiah chapter 10, starting verse 1. Hear the word that the Lord speaks to you. Underline that part. Hear the word that the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, Learn not the ways of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, because the nations are dismayed at them, for the customs of the people are vanity or emptiness, worthless. A tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with a hammer and nails so that it cannot move. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field. I like that. I like that little detail. Cucumber field. Guard those cucumbers. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field. And they cannot speak. They have to be carried for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them. For they cannot do evil. Neither is it in them to do good. So here is Jeremiah in a time of big upheaval in the history of Israel. He's going to be the prophet in Jerusalem when Jerusalem falls under the judgment of God. And and of course, everyone's just going to be scrambling around. And some people are going to get hauled off to foreign nations where they're going to be pressured to worship the idols of Babylon. And, And here's the Lord speaking through Jeremiah, just going, just think about it for a second. In order to make an idol, you have to kill a tree. Okay, so a dead tree is already a bad start. And, uh, and you have to nail them down. So on the one hand, they have to get nailed down so they don't fall over. And on the other hand, they're worshiping a God that's nailed down. Why would you worship something that can get nailed down? Uh, we actually do worship something that was nailed down for a time. 
And now he isn't and never will be ever again. But the big thing that he takes on here is he says, they're like scarecrows in a field. They cannot speak. They're like a bunch of rags hung off a stick. And if the crows get smart and brave, they figure out pretty quickly that they can't do anything. They can't say anything. They can't even shout boo. This is my point for this morning. If the God of heaven and earth, the God of the Bible, is making fun of idols because they cannot speak, we must not think about God that he is unable to speak. If the scriptures mock the idols for being mute, we must not think God has a hard time speaking. Okay? What I'm trying to say to you this morning is that God is speaking. The question is, are we listening? So there's three ways today I want to highlight that God speaks. I want to highlight that he speaks through his creation. I want to highlight that he speaks through the scriptures. And I want to highlight that he speaks through the Holy Spirit, especially through Christians in the church. Those are the three things. Through his creation, through the scriptures, and through the Holy Spirit working through Christians. Excuse me. The creation. God is speaking through creation. Are we listening? I really enjoy Psalm 19. It's a psalm that celebrates how God speaks. The first half is about creation. The second half is about God's word. I'm not going to look at the second half this morning, but I just want to read to you the first six verses of Psalm 19 for your enjoyment and information. This is what the psalmist says. The heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim, sorry, the skies above proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Does that sound like he's quiet? Day to day is an all night raucous frat house party right above your apartment. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. It's rising from the ends of the heaven and its circuit to the end of them. There is nothing hidden from his heat. So what's going on here? Well, the first few verses are David looking at the world and he's saying, everything God has made is talking. And it's saying, God is glorious. God is glorious. God is glorious. The heavens are proclaiming the glory of God. God is awesome. He is great. He is strong. He is wise. He is powerful. He is really, 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 really big and good at making things. He is glorious. That's what the heavens say. And the heavens are not disagreeing with God. The heavens are the spokesperson of God. They're kind of functioning prophetically. They are speaking on God's behalf. And so the skies above show his handiwork. Everything that is made is the work of the world's greatest artist. Kind of like we've got some art back here that captures the skills and the creative voice of the person who made it. The skies above and the heavens are saying, God is glorious. Are you listening? Are you listening? That's what he's saying. And he's saying, they're always talking. There's nowhere you can go on this earth that you get away from like the constant 
chorus of all of creation singing at you, God is amazing. He is great. He is glorious every day, every night, singing, shouting, speaking. Creation is talking on God's behalf to you about who God is. And then the psalmist takes one part of God's creation, the sun, which is a pretty big and important part for us. And he starts meditating on what God is saying through his creation. And he says, in the heavens, God has set like a tent. He's made it like a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And I'm just, I almost blew it on the first sermon, but like we can, we can read a biblical metaphor and just kind of skip over it a little bit too quick. But what he's saying is when God causes the sun to rise in the morning, did anybody see the sun rise? They're really nice around here. It's like a guy and last night was his wedding. And this morning is the first day of his marriage, and something happened in between that time. And he just wakes up in the morning, and he's like, Ha! Ah, it's the best day! It's the best day! It's the best day! I got a wife! I got a wife! And she's so hot! And I got a wife! I'm, I'm, I'm honestly just working the metaphor. The sun is like a bridegroom. He could have just said guy waking up in the morning, but everybody knows that not every guy wakes up well in the morning. We're just going, uh, where's my coffee? But when it's a bridegroom waking up, coming out of his wedding tent, he's pretty chuffed. So up comes the sun. And he's so stoked that he's like this big, strong guy, which is more like saying an athlete who's running his course with joy. So it's like Jared Little just booking it in the 400 meter at the Olympics. And he's like, ah, I feel God's pleasure when I run. And every day God sends this big ball of joyful fire across the sky saying, God is enjoying this. That's pretty amazing. Every day when the sun rises, the sun is saying, God is amazing. And even something that's just a ball of fire is happy to be what God has made it. As happy as a husband in the middle of his honeymoon. And it goes on from there. And, it, and this, this little meditation on the sun ends with this really interesting line, there is nothing hidden from its heat. So even the psalmist is saying that the experience of the heat of the sun is God talking to us. And uh, I, just, I just want to push the, push the speech of God a little bit further farther forward because i think that we can miss this okay we 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 wake up in the morning we're just like is it gonna rain and that's it is it beach day and that's it we we don't catch what god is saying through his son even though he has made it so painfully obvious in the sky that he's speaking to us and so he's made this gigantic ball which is actually really small compared to some of the other stars that he has made in the universe and that's fine you know, how big something is, how small something is. When you're God, you can do whatever you want with whatever you want. And so if he wants to make the ball of water and rock that his son was going to be incarnate over circle a tinier sun, he's God. 
He gets it right. And so we're, we're, we're on this planet Earth, but do you know what would happen if the sun just stopped existing all of a sudden? Among other things, all the planets would just go firing off into nothingness. We are kept at a perfect distance from the sun by the gravitational pull of its body size. And we're kept at just the right distance so that things don't get too hot and the entire planet turn into the Sahara Desert and things don't get so cold that the polar ice caps reach and meet in Florida. You know, we think sometimes around February that that's exactly what's happening. And then, oh, what happens? We keep moving and God warms us up a little bit. And then everyone's like, AC time, because there's always something wrong with the weather. <laughs> but it's a picture of who God is. He upholds his universe. He keeps everything where he wants it to be. He's the one who decided when we would be born, into which nation, to which parents, how long we will live, what we will end up being good at and be inclined to do, just like the sun holds every planet in its place. God is the one who holds everything in its place. And the sun, in a physical sense, is the source of all life flourishing on this planet. And what I mean is this. Without its heat, everything would be frozen. And without the, the rays of light coming to this planet and being greedily gobbled up by plants and plankton and just turned into starch or sugars or whatever plants do with sunlight, there would be nothing to eat. Everything that you are going to have for lunch today either grew by eating the sun or ate things that grew by eating the sun. So we live off of the sun with a few steps in between. That's crazy to think. That's right. I'm not just talking about sunbathing. We literally eat the sun. And in that same way, all of our life comes from God. All of it. Our conception, our breathing, our waking up each morning, our joys, our relationships, our hopes, our accomplishments, all life comes from God. And he's made this ball of fire as a little picture that talks about him and what he does. And also, the sun speaks to us about God's holiness. About his holiness. There's this line here, there's nothing hidden from its heat. When you're in the Middle East, you understand what a hot sun really feels like. And we can feel it too, but when you're in the Middle East, when you're around the equator, if you go and stand in the sun all day long without drinking anything, you can die. And even though we're not at the equator, if you go outside after this message and you do what I'm about to tell you not to do, you go stare at the sun for like 10 or 15 minutes, don't do that, it will burn your eyes blind. And that is just a tiny little ball of gas that the infinite creator of the universe made to talk about him. How much more severe is the holiness of God? And what God is saying is, you're just a creature. And you cannot arrogantly approach me and just say, I'm going to stand in the sun all day and I won't get burned. I'm going to stare at the sun and I won't go blind. No, 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 no. The only way to live with God is humbly, according to his way. 
And we learn to do this. We learn to be like, oh, put on your hat when you go outside or slap on the sunscreen. And, and, and we learn to live as little creatures in the light and the heat of the sun. And God's just saying, you've you got to learn to live with me too. And with my holiness. With the sunblock of my son's blood covering you and protecting you. Amen? So what I'm trying to say is that God is always speaking to us through his creation. And we need to learn how he's speaking to us. Um, In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is trying to teach his disciples to love their enemies. And one of the things he says to them is, you need to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute, persecute you because your father causes the sun to rise on the wicked and the righteous every day. And your father sends rain on the just and the unjust in the same way you should be like him and just love your enemies. And so what we learn from that is that from Jesus, the right way of looking at a sunny day is to hear God say, I have merciful love on you, whether you're a Christian or not. If you go outside and the warmth of sunshine hits your skin, that personally is God saying to you, I have merciful love on you. So nobody who has ever enjoyed a sunny day can say God has never loved me. Because Jesus says the, the way to interpret sunshine hitting your skin is God does love you. And so I do my theological thing and I think, are you going too far, Rob? And I think, well, actually, there was a time in the book of Exodus when the ninth plague was happening and God was showing his displeasure to Egypt. And what did he do? He took away the sun. He put on them a darkness that can be felt, says scripture. There was just no light. There was no sun. And so what God was doing there is saying, when I want to have it so that you can have no sun, you have no sun. God controls this. So every time you do feel, ah, the wind's not too bad and the mosquitoes aren't out yet. Thank you, terrible blizzards that killed all the mosquito eggs, we hope. And I'm outside and it's warm and this is enjoyable. God is personally saying to you, I am loving you mercifully. You didn't earn this. You can't force me to do this. I'm having mercy on you. So so application number one, when I'm done, because I don't want to get distracted. When I'm done, go outside, feel some warmth, and know, and know, according to the words of Jesus, God is saying to you, he's speaking, I love you, and I'm having mercy on you, and I'm taking care of you, whether you're a Christian or not. Now, we need help correctly interpreting creation. And that's why I've got to talk about God speaking to us through Scripture, because Scripture says that the human heart resists giving God the thanks and glory that he deserves for the goodness he has given to us through Scripture. So Romans 1, 19 through 21, setting the context for the gospel, says this, For what can be known about God is plain to them, meaning the Gentiles, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes... Namely, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. This is just what I was talking about. God has revealed who he is. He's speaking to us through what he's made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And as you read that chapter, there are all kinds of handing overs and increases of sin. And according to scripture, it all started when people were in God's good world and said, 
I'm not going to honor the creator as God, and I'm not going to give thanks to him. We're going to try a different arrangement. That's, that's where everything went wrong for us. So we need God to speak in another way as well. And I often wrestled with this. It's like, I was just asking, God, have I ever seen this in action, this whole encountering the goodness of the creator and then turning away from giving honor and thanks? And uh, I, I did. I saw it very recently. I felt like God opened my eyes to it. Um, I was listening to someone share a testimony. They weren't a Christian, so they're sharing a story of one of the biggest events of their life. And I don't want to share the details. But they were, it was like a big international breakthrough for their good. Excuse me. And as they were telling this story, twice they said something happened that had never happened before in history. Okay, there was this one event in Canada where this thing happened, and this person literally said, this has never happened before in Canadian history. And then they were talking about something that happened in another country, and they literally said... This thing that happened over there had never happened before in that country's history. And it happened for the first time with me so that the thing I was trying to get done could happen. And a couple of times they, they approached giving God some glory. They said, would say things like, I don't know who was upstairs pulling the strings or I don't know if some angel was shining down on me or whatever. And, and they literally said, but, and I don't really care. The important thing was that this happened. Okay. And it was subtle and it was so easy to miss. But it, this is what the Bible said happened was happening there. Somebody experienced the mercies of God as he pulled the strings of human history for their good. And they, they came close to realizing something supernatural is happening here. And their response was not, I really need to figure out if there's a God. Something huge happened and I, I have to thank them. And if they're really that powerful enough to do that thing, then they, I probably need to worship them. Okay, that, that is rational thinking. Wouldn't you agree? That if, 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 you're, if something supernatural happens, that you would think, I should figure out if there's a person to thank behind this. And it was resisted and rejected. It just glossed by it. The important thing is, is this. And I was just like, there it is. There is Romans 1 happening right there. And it happens every day in Canada. happens every day in people's lives that you know, maybe even our lives. Every day, God communicating and moving on our behalf and us not turning around and going, wow, I need to just stop, drop, and worship right now. Okay? And so what the scripture is saying is that we have failed hearing God's creation correctly and something else needs to happen. And the, the end result was Jesus need to come and rescue us, to die for our sins, to give us new life, and to give us new hearts that can hear what God's saying and not say, boring, but say, glory. Amen? So he's given us scripture. And, you know... It's a big book, so there's a lot of places I could go, but I'm just going to take us to Sunday school lesson time. We're going to go hit up Second uh, Timothy 3. Anybody know where I'm going? Come on, all scripture is? Oh, come on. You guys are, Susan's going to feel all bad, like she's done a bad job. All scripture is? Thank you very much. So Second Timothy 3.16. We're just going to plant our stakes here and, uh, and be there as soon as I find it. First Timothy, sorry, Second Timothy three, 
verse 16 says this, all scripture is breathed out by God, in my translations, others say God's breathed, and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. So I want to take the all scriptures God breathed, and I want to take the and is profitable for all these things. Scriptures, this book, Old Testament, New Testament, its testimony about itself, its attitude about itself is that this is God speaking. Okay? Not that this is human writings who are doing their best to describe their experiences about God. And not that if you have a really strong emotion while you're reading this book, that is God speaking. Scripture's attitude about itself is that the words on the page are God speaking. And praise be to Jesus, the scriptures love translation. Okay? The New Testament is filled up with translations of the Old Testament in the New Testament, so we can just say it's not lost when it's translated, otherwise they wouldn't be doing this. The Holy Spirit has said the scriptures are a translatable message if it's faithfully done. And so in English, when we read or hear the scriptures read, it is God talking. Are we listening? It is God talking. Okay? This is, this is the level of response and authority that the apostles spoke with. You can go into 1 Thessalonians. I think it's in chapter 2. It might be in chapter 3, where he says to them, When we came to you with our message, we rejoiced that you received our words, not as the words of men, but as the word of God, as it really is. They listened like it was God talking. And Paul said, you got it right, many people don't. And so this is the first thing. When Scripture says all Scripture is breathed out by God, it's saying that these writings are utterly unique in the history of the world. This is God speaking. And I... I have many times tried to articulate this with some pictures, and I used to say, you know, anytime you read the Bible, that's God talking to you. And I say that to the kids sometimes, because, you know, you could be like, ah, it's boring, or I'm not excited about it, or whatever. It's like, no, no, hold on a sec. Whenever you read even the word the in here, that is dad telling you his stories. Have you ever noticed that before? Sometimes when you're with people, they, they like to tell their same stories over and over and over again. You know why they do that? Because you haven't really listened yet. Amen. And they can tell if you listen by what they see going on in your life. So God has written us a story and it's, and it's like, you actually, you need to read the story again. Okay. We're all going to sit down. I'm going to tell you about the time I caught a really big fish because you haven't really listened yet. Amen. And I'm going to do that when I'm older. I'm going to gather all the grandkids around and I'm going to tell them about how I met their grandma and it's going to be awesome. But this is God's book. It's a solid book, and we're supposed to keep reading it and listening and hearing it and every time you read it. But it's more than that. As long as there is a Bible in print in the, the world, God is talking through this book. Even when the pages are closed, God is talking here in these pages. And it's kind of like, um, I like to listen to audiobooks when I go to sleep. Just something to listen to, and then the, the kids or the dog don't wake you up, and it's really great. And uh, so you just pop in the earphones. Every once in a while, you wake up in the middle of the night choking, and it, that's totally worth the danger for me. And so I pop on some long books sometimes, and uh, you know, I fall asleep in chapter 2, and I wake up in chapter 11. And, it's, and, and in my sleep, I have been listening to 
um, orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton the entire evening, which would explain the dreams. And I was like, that's more like what the Bible is like. He's always talking. The question is just whether or not we're listening. Okay, we don't even have to read the book for God to be talking to this book. If it exists, he is speaking. And it does exist. And is the world's most published book, the world's most translated book, the world's most transported book. He is talking everywhere all the time through this book. Are we listening? Amen? And I want to talk about the is profitable part. If you listen to this verse, the first part about Scripture being God-breathed, that it's really God talking. And the second part is that it has an effect, okay? The fact that this is, is God's book means that it teaches me, it reproves me, it corrects me, it guides me, and not the reverse. Okay, so I don't sit down with Scripture and just say like, are you joking? Why don't, why don't, why don't, why don't, why don't, why don't, boop. When that happens, that is somebody confessing that this is not Scripture. Okay? Whatever does the correcting is the voice of God. So, um, you may have noticed there's some sharp-dressed young fellas walking around town, uh, um, Mormon guys trying to plant a church in town. Maybe they've already done it. I don't really know. Um, one of the things I appreciate about the Mormons is that they're very upfront. They have a second book. They've got their Bible, and they found fault with it, and so they have a second book, the Book of Mormon or the writings of Joseph Smith, whatever it is. And they say, you need a second book. If you really want to be doing it, you need these writings too because this book is, what, incomplete, false, broken, in need of reinterpretation, whatever it is, this book doesn't cut it. You need book two in order for everything to be going well with you and God. And what I'm saying is one of the things I appreciate about them is that they're upfront about that. Because not everybody who calls himself a Christian is upfront about the fact that they believe you need a second book. Okay? Amen? So, curl your toes. They might get stepped on. Some Christians say that everything in the Bible needs to line up with whatever the lab coats are saying these days. And I say that because when this whole modernism movement started in the late 1700s, 1800s, what you had to believe in order to be right has all changed. And so the the canon for whether or not Scripture is authoritative and real and accurate changes every generation with the lab coats. And I love science and I'm really grateful for airplanes and smartphones and hamburgers and McDonald's that never go bad. Thank you, scientists. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for knowing that I'm eating things that will last longer than I will. I'm grateful for that. And so don't hear me slamming the, the authentic pursuit of understanding how the creator has made the world work in order to have dominion for the good of the creation and the people in it. Don't hear me slamming that. But the worldview of saying my telescope and my microscope correct, reprove, or rebuke this book is wrong. This book does the correcting, the reproving, and the training in righteousness. There's another mindset which is much more effective in our day and age that kind of sees the scripture as being having cultural contaminations. Okay? The first century infected the Bible with things like sexual bigotry and patriarchy. And if we come along with book two, whoever's writing it, and we can cleanse the scripture from those things, then it becomes useful to us again. 
But as it stands in its writing, it's just got some really bad stuff in there, and we need to get that out of there. That's a second book, and the Bible laughs. And I can guarantee you that Yahweh Most High does not look at North American culture with our 60 million abortions and our not sure if a man or a woman is a man or a woman until they are just fighting, convinced about it one way or another, and saying to women, do you feel bad about your body? Why don't you put plastic bags in your chest so that people can stare at them and then you can feel good about yourself? I do not think that the Trinity is in heaven thinking, I want to take advice from those guys. So, God has not sent us into the world to apologize for his word. We're supposed to train people to obey his word. So, if you discover you have a second book, um, you don't have to keep it. That's all I'm going to say. And please, I have, I have been wrestled, I've wrestled with the Lord and been broken by him. Um, and uh, I just, I don't know where else to go. I am ready to live and to die according to what God has revealed in his scriptures. And yes, I understand that there needs to be textual criticism sometimes because there's variant text and all that stuff. Yes, I understand that some scriptures are just insanely hard to understand. But you know what the scripture says about things that are hard to understand? In Proverbs, it says, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to figure it out. And some of us are just not willing to act like kings to put in the time to figure out the mysteries of God in his word. Amen? We want everything shoveled out to us like French fries at McDonald's, quick and easy, press a button on a screen, get the piece of paper out, wait there, leaning up against the super soft thing. We just want to stand there waiting for the awesomeness to come to us. And God's saying, there are awesome things in this book that you will never get at unless you act like a king and put in the time to understand what I put in there. Plus, there are some things we will never understand in this book, and that is just there to humble us. But it is not the things we don't understand that are the problem. It's the things we do understand that's the problem. Nobody crucified Jesus because of what they didn't understand about what he was saying. They crucified Jesus because of what they really understood he was saying. And same with Peter and same with Paul and all the other apostles. It was not the mysteries that got them in trouble. It was what they plainly said that attacked an idol of their age. And that's all I'm going to say about that. God is speaking through his word. Are we listening? I mean, it's so brilliant of the Lord to have made a scripture. You can take this anywhere. It goes from one generation to the next. It does not depend on the memory recall of your uncle Cletus. What God said in Romans 8. You can put this on a memory stick. You can smuggle it into any country. You can transport it over the internet. This inscripturated word of God is a brilliant choice in my humble opinion, for how God would spread the kingdom. Okay, finally. God is speaking through the Spirit. Are you listening? Pentecost is coming. Acts chapter 2. And uh, June 4th is Pentecost Sunday. And you know what? In one sense, it's just any other Sunday. Because Pentecost was a once-for-all event because it happened, everything changed, and nothing went back. Okay, the Holy Spirit was not just on a short-term mission trip where he, you know, built a house, took a photo, posted on Facebook, went back to heaven. He's still here working. 
Okay, and so you remember the story of Pentecost. Jesus says, don't go anywhere until I fill you with power. And they're praying and they're praying. And then on the right day, when the Pentecost, day of Pentecost arrived, the Holy Spirit comes down in flames of fire to touch every single believer in the room and to cause them to speak in languages that they don't know, but that other people in, in Jerusalem understood so that people are like, what are all these freakazoids doing preaching the praises of God in my hometown's language because nobody here knows it but me? Okay, that's what happened at Pentecost. And Peter gets up to preach a sermon to help interpret what God has done, which is exactly what I'm doing too. You preach sermons to help people understand how God is ruling the world. He's speaking through creation, he speaks through his scripture, and he speaks through the spirit, especially through the church. And Peter gets up and says this, verse 14, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, which is like nine o'clock in the morning. But this was uttered through the prophet Joel. Notice Peter using scripture as the foundation for his message that he's about to preach. I just want to... In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and my female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And he goes on from there. Did you get it? God pours out his spirit, and Joel, hundreds of years before Pentecost, says this is what the effect is going to be. Sons and daughters are going to hear God and then speak his word. And young men are going to have visions of God and then speak his word. And old men are going to have dreams of God and then speak his word. And by the way, it's going to be the servant girls and the servant boys. They're going to be the ones prophesying, hearing God's word and speaking God's word. And just so we know, God said that this is what's going to happen in the last days, which started on Pentecost. The Pente- Pentecost started the last days. If you ever hear about somebody going, it's the last days, you can say yes. And it has been for about 1,970 years. We're in last or last days, which is great because we're looking forward to the last day when Jesus comes back. But just so we know, in the last days started in Pentecost with the outpouring of the Spirit. What is Christian life going to be characterized by? It's going to be characterized by everybody hearing the Spirit so that they can speak the Word of God. Everybody. Are you a son? Where's your prophesying? Are you a daughter? Where's your prophesying? Are you an old man? You're like, I'm off the hook. You know, I, I, I retired. Doug, you're retired now, right? Life got super easy after that. I heard, you heard you're a snowbird. You just go lay on a beach somewhere, right? Oh, no, you're dreaming dreams. God is speaking to you. Are you a young person? Some of you are like, oh, they shut down children's ministry. I'm stuck in the sermon today. So that God could tell you he wants to speak to you through visions. So you can prophesy. Okay, the point of this passage is with the Holy Spirit coming, nobody's off the hook to hear God. The Spirit wants to talk to every Christian so that you can be led by Him and that you can speak His Word. And this is not in any conflict at all with my extremely, almost radically high view of Scripture. My problem is that when I read the Bible, the Bible says I'm expecting a lot of prophesying. 
Amen? So, so what I just said was that if you're a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit, God is speaking to you. The Spirit is speaking to you to speak to others for their good. If you're a Christian, God, the Spirit is speaking to you. This is his mission. This is his plan. God's a kind of God who he, he does save some secrets which, for the surprise party, but mostly he tells us what he's going to do beforehand. When you get saved, guess what? God, the Spirit starts talking to you. And uh, I think, you know, we don't always feel it. We don't always see it. And, and I'm, I think that the, the, the main issue that keeps us from just being really excited about hearing God's voice is not that God doesn't speak. Like I've been saying, he's always talking. The main issue is... Sorry? Are we listening? Yes. And the main thing that keeps us from listening is pride. It's pride. What if it goes wrong? What if I get it wrong? And what if I get it right and he asks me to do something embarrassing? That's the one. That's the one right there. What if I listen and now I'm stuck in a rock and a hard plate because I either like knowingly disobey on this side or look like a fool on this side. Okay. Let me just try to address that. As a person who struggles with fear of man as much as anybody, if not more so, um, does anybody here remember Humble Sunday? Come on, give me some hands up there. Okay. I have such a hatred for my fear of people, or fear of embarrassment um, that can control me and rule me and influence me instead of just simply enjoying listening and obeying God. Such a hatred for it that I, we did this thing called Humble Sunday and I took this bag. It was a plastic, a big plastic, woven plastic bag from Rwanda. It had been full of coffee beans or co- bags of coffee. I think there's still some in the freezer if you need some. And uh, I took it and I cut some sides on the top. I cut some holes on the sides and a hole in the top. And I I got up here and I preached in a plastic bag. You all grew up reading Paper Bag Princess. That was me, but there was no dragon. It was just me. Well, the dragon is my fear of man pride. And I was trying to kill it by putting on a plastic bag. And it, it did work a little bit. Like, I was weeping with the Lord beforehand, just being like, man, why am I so embarrassed? And then the next Sunday, you have to do it all over again. And the next Sunday, 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 and the next Sunday. When you wake up um, in the morning, the sun is still enjoying his honeymoon, and fear of man will be right there to inflame your pride, to help you to choose not to just simply listen to the Spirit and be led by Him. Amen? So, something practical you could do if you want to fight this is just take some time. Get a piece of paper get, and sit down with your Bible. Sit down with a piece of paper, a pad or a journal, and just say, God, speak to me. And if, if you feel like something in your spirit or in your soul, he says something to you or something comes to mind, just write it down, okay? You don't have to judge right away. You don't have to phone up Pastor Rob and be like, ah, what do I do now? It's like a spider in my basement. Squash it. Just, just start working on it and, and humbling yourself before the Lord and just saying, I don't really want to do this. <laughs> I know I'm supposed to want to hear you, but I don't really want to. And just work it out with him. Just work it out with him. Because being too afraid to hear the Lord and obey is like being a hemophiliac. 
Okay, hemophilia, I think, is where if you get a cut, your blood doesn't clot, and you just keep dripping and dripping and dripping and dripping. And you lose your energy, and you lose your... And you make a mess. And being too afraid to just listen to the Spirit and obey, it sucks your energy. And it does not go better than if you would, when we listen to the Lord and obey what he's saying. And if you're a hemophiliac, I love you and I'm glad you're here and I don't mean to put you on the spot. And if you want to get prayed for, you can definitely get that. I'm just using it as a picture. So God is always speaking. That's who God is. We need to, we need to just settle this into the truth part of our brain. He is always talking. Talking through his creation, talking through his word, talking to you by the Spirit. And are you listening? Father, I thank you so much for this word. Father, I think ever since the garden with uh, Adam and Eve, that the issue of life has always been will we listen to you? I know it is in my life. Sometimes, Father, the, the wrestle is because we think that if we listen to you, it's going to cost us so much. And that's true. So often, Lord Jesus, we are so locked into unbelief, bitterness, self-hatred, and anger. And we know that if we listen to you, you're going to set us free from that stuff, and we don't know how to get set free. When you come and you say, you're my child, I want to strengthen you by grace. And we want to say, no, I won't listen. God, I pray that by your, the, just the sweetness of your spirit, we would just have that fear of the Lord where it's like, I'm, I'm just going to stop fighting against what you say, Lord. I'm going to believe what you say as much as I can understand. And God, I know is that we welcome you in just saying, we, we just want to listen to you, God. You're going to do things and say things that we wouldn't expect and couldn't believe. God, you, are, you just love to exalt the humble. Father, where each one of us has been dealing with a fear of just risking listening to you, I submit this fear to you and I pray you'd help us just confess it. Say, God, I, I am afraid and I see that this is a sin and would you forgive me and set me free? If that's you, you can just quietly do that with the Lord on your own or you can grab a friend. And Father, where we're hungry to have this walking in the Spirit hearing you, I pray that you would help us to seek you. Just say, I'm going to pray for this for a few weeks until God answers. I'm going to study. I'm going to pray. Trust that the Lord's going to do what I can't do. I pray you'd help us, Lord.